Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Footnotes and Fairy Tales with me, Damien Fox, the platform that hopes to showcase people and their stories. My guest today, like so many mothers, is worthy of her admiration. Her daughter was diagnosed with autism, which brings its own challenges to both mother and daughter, but equally it brings its own rewards. My guest today is Adele Devlin, and this is her story. Hi Adele, how are you? I'm not too bad, how are you? I'm good. Listen, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, mm -hmm. First and foremost, I, I just want to give you a little background, and I suppose it's a little bit of uh, an embarrassing story f with regards to myself. When I first came up with the idea of, of the podcast, um, I had one of those, in my mind, light bulb moments um, mm -hmm. where I, the, the name of the podcast came to me like a bolt of lightning, and it's not the name that it is now. Previously, and when I say the name, it might ring a bell. Um, the podcast was to be called Frank and Honest. Um, I thought this was a new and novel and innovative thing. And I've been incredibly creative and come up with this all by myself. Uh, and I went yeah. to bed feeling content that I've come up with the perfect name. It's absolutely magic. Um, you know, went to bed, patted myself on the back. The next morning I woke up and uh, I, th I thought to myself, that was all too easy. You know, Frank and Honest, um, and it, all, it sounded all too familiar. So I decided to Google it. And it was at that point that I, I had that uh, realization that I was essentially a dickhead because <laughs> it's it's a very well-established um, coffee brand. <laughs> um, you know, so um, so ultimately I had to change the name. I didn't want a, a, a lawsuit against me. Um, so it subsequently became Footnotes and Fairy Tales. Um, it was my sister-in-law that put me on to you, uh, and in many ways, she had said that you were an inspiration on your story. Really? So that's, yeah, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. Um, and it relates, obviously, to your story, but I suppose, it, essentially, your daughter Rosie's story as well. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, and I've, in, I've said it in the introduction that, that your daughter was diagnosed with autism. Um, but if we go to a time before your daughter was born, what, what was your understanding of, of autism? Well, this, this might sound strange, but you'd nearly think life leading up to before Rosie was preparing me for Rosie. Um, mm -hmm. I left, after I left school, no GCSEs, any of that there, um, I went to tank on her dressing, left it. Went and done health and social care, went and worked in special needs school. No for mm -hmm. like the placement for a while. But mm, yeah, this could be me. I, I like this here. Then worked in the taxi rank for years. And then um then I decided to go to America. So I I signed up for that uh, camp leaders program. Okay. And then I was flew to the mountains of New York up to a place um, called High Falls, hmm. most beautiful area ever. And I was a camp counsellor for special needs. So there was all types of special needs. There was everything hmm. um, on the age range. I think it was from five and the oldest was in their 50s. So like it was very vast differences in all abilities and everything. And it was just then I was like, yeah, I like this year. I, I do have had um, 
special needs in the family as well. So it's never been a shock to the system. Oh God, my child's got this diagnosis and all that there. It's like, bring it on type of thing. Yes, when you get diagnosed, it's, or you, you think at the start that okay, there's something, you're like, right, okay. But like, you can do it. And I'm kind of waffling. But like, like I left, then I spent four months in America, well, three and a half months, I say four, rounded up. <laughs> and then came home and then worked in a care home, which was all special needs as well. So and this was um, this was all prior to, to the birth of your daughter. Care. Yes. From the age of eighteen. Nineteen to I was nine years ago. Twenty-four, twenty-five, around that there age. Five or six different jobs. And three out of the five was special needs based. <laughs> So you think in many ways your life before your daughter had in in a oh, way yeah. pre- prepared you for oh, handle, handling that? Yeah. Yeah, it, it 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 gave me a different type of understanding. Um like I could understand like you know if you're out and about and you can see maybe you see a slight difference in somebody. Like I could nearly tell you what it is mm-hmm. and things like that there. And like giving empathy, not sympathy to people, which gives is a you big pers- difference. Because, gives you perspective, yeah. Yeah, but like even seeing families out with their, their, their children or older adults with special needs and stuff, a lot of the time people give them sympathy and sympathy is not needed. We don't need sympathy. Mm-hmm. Empathy, yes. Even like go, hey, how are you? Not, oh. There, there's a person there with special needs, which it, it is a big, you'd nearly think there was a big massive caution sign in front of people when they were walking going, oh God, they're special needs, don't look at them or look at them and go, ah, oh, well, we packed as if the person can't communicate or even maybe not verbally be able to communicate, but any child, you know, or you don't know that has any type of special needs and non-verbal, they could communicate. <laughs> They can tell so, you in their own way what they want or what mm-hmm. they need. And when Rosie came along, at what point and how early on, I mean, were, were the symptoms that kind of raised concerns in, in your mind? Um, from just about nine months, I started to notice wee, wee things, not nothing major, but um, she was a wee bit more delayed in crawling and so <laughs> Daddy, I'll get your car for you now, okay? Um, sorry about that. Um, when she was nine months, I started to research quite late in her, in her crawling and that type of thing. Um, I never said nothing to nobody because like, no idea. You're just, you're expecting like first class and everything here and it's not happening that quickly. So I said nothing, then waited a couple of months and then I mentioned to my brother and he was like, yep, I was waiting for to see how when you'd say, because he has a background in special needs also. So um, then it goes right, okay. I think, I think it might have been about a, a year and a half, maybe. When I finally, finally was like, right, no, okay, she is. She's not talking. She's 
blabbling a few words, but nothing that you could understand. And it was, there was a lot of like stimming and stuff. Like looking back at it, I was so obvious. Mm -hmm. When you're a new parent, you don't know these things, which is a number one thing either. And um, then I was pregnant with my son and she was, there's 18 months between them. So from I fell pregnant, I had him. There was vast differences then. Um, she does have a cousin five months older. So then at the same time, I was going, right, well, he's doing this here and she's not doing this here. Or he done that when he was 12 months and she's only doing it at 18 months type of comparing, but not as it say, right, okay, A and A, B and B, C and C, because two children's never the same, doesn't matter if they're siblings or anything like that there. No two people's ever alike. So, Is, is there a natural kind of instinct, and I suppose in many ways, I'm a father also, um, when you see something that perhaps might be a concern, your immediate instinct is, is to try and suppress it and say, perhaps it's it's something that they'll grow out of, or mm-hmm. were you honest with yourself from the get-go to say, listen, there's just there's something not right here. I've, I've noticed something. It's 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 kind um, of an, out, an outlier. Well, one thing I will say is a mother's gut. Mm-hmm. It's always a thing that you hear saying, listen to your gut. Mothers, listen to your gut. Fathers, listen to your gut. Because you do have a gut instinct, even like things like they're not 100% right. You don't know what's wrong. Mm-hmm. But you can tell if there is that one thing. Like Rosie had, um, oh, he's still there. Sorry, it went off there. Um, Rosie had chronic tonsillitis when she was wee, very mm-hmm. wee. Um, I think in the space of like 16 months or 18 months, she had to be 18 times. Like really. And then, pe- pe- not pediatrics, but people were putting her down to, right, okay, well, she's got tonsillitis, so that's why she's not talking. Okay. Because she doesn't want to talk, so she's throat sore. So then, at, she was nearly three, two years ago. Yeah, she was, uh, say, two and a half, and she got tonsils and not legs removed. Still no talking. Okay. And then, uh, when it came to my wee fellas, I think it was four-week check or something like that, that I says to her, sister, okay, we need to, we need to do something here. And... Um, I highly think that Rosie has autism. Um, and before you kind of raised that to, to a health visitor or, or, a, or a GP, was there a point at which, you know, you, you've had your own instincts about it, that you've gone ahead and read as much as you could to kind of gauge whether the things that she was displaying kind of mirrored what the symptoms of autism were? Um, see, a lot of, most of autism... Um, what do you call it, autism testing as such is done on boys. There's a, a lot fewer girls that is diagnosed um, because girls are great maskers. Um, that is one main thing with the gir- girls with autism. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. That It is like they're able to kind of put up a show, but it's when they get home. Mm-hmm. That's like, right, okay. Coke bottle effect. Have you have you ever heard of it? No. No. Okay. So say that this Coke bottle. So you have your bottle, right? So say that mm-hmm. is the child, right? All day, shaking. So that's frustration, stimming. Ah. So all day getting shook up. 
See when they get home, you open the lid, explode. Okay. Just the coke bottle effect. That's one. That's one thing I read that, that I read today, and, and you raised the point is that, and the fig, the figure that I got today was for every three boys that are diagnosed with autism, only one girl is, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily a true reflection because it's more difficult to diagnose in girls, um, which, you know, um, I guess is your point. I think the majority of the testing was done on boys Mm -hmm. from what I've read um, to the point where, like it used to be that girls went to get diagnosed and they're like, no, no, that's not, it's anxiety, it's this, it's that. and think just wee silly things that things that don't to other people you wouldn't even recognize as autism. Like even things like Rosie could walk up and down, up and down, up and down, or just stand and go. That's actually a, a stim. Mm-hmm. So that could be her, like re, nearly like releasing an emotion. So that could be her releasing happiness and just bopping about or um, like a lot of them is hand flapping but it mightn't be the characteristic like this here mm-hmm. it could just be feeling feeling your fingertips or twirling your hair or anything like that there it's just boys from the testing seem to be very outward with all mm-hmm. of it and girls just genuinely aren't so when you when you first took or raised your concern to I guess the health visitor, what what was the next step in that uh, that path? Um, right. Well, the health visitor, health visitor. Um, she read out a form for pediatrics, mm-hmm. and then pediatrics will see you, um, face to face. Well, usually face to face, um, in the middle of the times it was COVID, so that put a, a bit of a a more of a steep hill on it. So um, when she got into paediatrics, then they go, they basically asked you about 50 questions. Um, it could be about how's their sleep, how's their mood, um, communication, walking, just the general gist, like a, a, a MOT. And they're not... They've not been introduced to Rosie at this point. It's, it's effectively just a questionnaire for you to, to fill out. Basically, is a questionnaire. Um, it could be over the phone or you could be in person, but Rosie would be there. Yeah. But it's all to the parent. And then once you get through all the questions and then they kind of observe the child while they're there. Okay. And then um, they then refer you on to autism. So it could be the Oaks and... Arma, or I'm not sure where else. It, that's the only ones I have dealt with. On the speech and how long is it then from once you receive that first referral to you get to the next stage? Well, it was. Let me see. It was last April. I got Rosie's diagnosis. Mm-hmm. That was April twenty two. And it was June twenty. Or so two or years. First week of July. Two years, and that was that that was quite quite quick compared to a lot of our parents. Yeah, I was reading on the NHS website. Obviously, trying to educate myself 
um, with regards to autism. And it states even on their website that, you know, it can take a considerable amount of time to get from, I guess, when you first raise it mm -hmm. to get ultimately the diagnosis. How mm -hmm. frustrating is that over the course of those two years? It's extremely frustrating because it's not even just like when a child comes through Northern Ireland, it could be the UK, anywhere in the UK on Ireland where they get offered a nursery place. Mm. But when you have a child that's not neurotypical, that's it's not as easy as going, oh yeah, um, sure we'll check that place and we'll see how things go. Um, because for the likes of Rosie, it's it was a very complex matter because she needed one-to-one -one attention, um, toileting, just a plethora of things. Um, yeah. So it wasn't as easy as going, right, okay, there's the place, we'll take that there. With a child with autism or any disability even, um, any learning difficulties it can be too, there's such a criteria to get through. Like it's not even just about schooling, but even the likes of their DLA that they're entitled to. Like it's a shocking fight. Mm. It's a fight that I don't think people even realise that we have to go through. Like for Rosie, she got accepted into a nursery, but they're only able to give her 45 minutes a day, which is ridiculous. It wouldn't be fair on any child, never mind a child that needs the extra attention that you just drop them off at the door and come back in 45 minutes. Like that wasn't and for a settling in period. That was for the entirety of the year that they were being given. And from your experience um, with nursery, how, how, how well suited or fit for purpose are they to, to deal with the child with autism? Well, Rosie never got in. So Rosie didn't okay. get nursery until last year. So um, she never got the three to four program, mm -hmm. the usual. She got the four. Well, she's an August child as well, so she would be, she would have done two years in nursery um, because of the summer babies and all that there. So she done the nursery program in a special school last year. Okay. So she's in P1 this year. And like anybody that has a child with special needs, with autism especially, I, in my opinion, I think they should go to a special school because, now this could sound really silly from me, but like, says if you, refer as, say it's animals in, in, in the animal kingdom, right? So says if there's an elephant, there's a tiger, there's a bear, and there's a fish, right? And there's a tree, and you tell them all to climb a tree. They're not all going to be able to climb the tree. Mm -hmm. But if you say to them all, right, let's get in the water, not all of them's going to be able to swim. So it's about not, it's changing, changing their criteria for the child, not changing the child for the criteria. Yeah, it makes more sense. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It does, but of like, course. But like, I think, like, especially with nurseries and stuff, like, if you look in the statistics, and I don't know the statistics personally, because it annoys me too much to look at it. Mm -hmm. But like, if you think, right, how many mainstream schools are there in Armagh? How many in Belfast? How many in Murray? How many in Portadown? All out there. So there could be 10 schools, but there's only one special needs school or special needs unit. Mm -hmm. 
So it's it's uh, like the demand is outweighing how much there actually is. And that means, yeah. like at the minute, there's an awful lot of children still without P1 places and nursery places and primary places and secondary places in Northern Ireland, simply because there isn't the area for them. Yeah. That's, I mean, obviously, I've limited knowledge and you're obviously more um, suited uh, to answer these things. But you would imagine, I mean, again, on the flip side, of that, it's not surprising. I mean, in the north, we, we don't even have a functioning government. So how can you expect mm -hmm. issues like this to be addressed, yeah. which is absolutely shameful? Um, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask, and you've kind of touched upon it already. Um, I wanted to understand, obviously, with respect to your child and anybody's child, you, you want them to have the most normalized childhood experience, you know, similar to what we had, uh, and you don't want them to stand out. So I want to I want to understand: Do you have to balance the need to want your child to have a, a normalized or normal childhood against the practical needs that they require in school? So whilst you want them to fit in and be in a normal class, they also have needs that are better catered to them in a special school. Well, see, this is a tough thing because. You want your child to have friends, mm -hmm. right? So, in in my opinion, mainstream schools, even if you're not autistic or anything like that, there, friends come and go like nothing ordinary. Mm -hmm. Like there's fallouts every week and all that there. Um, you're not talking to this person, and this person's not talking to this person. You can't talk, look at them in case of this, that, and the other. <laughs> But in a special needs school, everybody, like, any time I have went and collected Rosie from school, I swear to God, I could never see one child coming out of that school unhappy. Mm -hmm. Like, they're loved, like, they're, like, the teacher loves them all as if it's their own child. So with respect to special needs, obviously it's a broad spectrum uh, mm -hmm. in terms of what kids with special needs and what the requirements and, and what you need to do to accommodate them. Um, with respect to autism, how, how well equipped are special needs schools to, to cater to children with autism? Oh, incredible. Okay. When Rosie started the early years program in horse school last year, Rosie had very limited speech. I mean, a few words, and that was if and when she wanted to to talk. Um, it was more of a like a noises and stuff like that. There, um, Rosie was completely incontinent, as in not toilet trained. Um, couldn't get her toilet trained. She had no understanding of it, anything like that. There, um, behaviorally, she had quite a lot of issues. Um. Obviously, it was frustration and not being able to talk. Um, there was other, like, I couldn't, like, for the first few weeks, it was a screaming match to even get her into the school because it was a new new area, new surroundings, new people and stuff like that there. See, this morning, it was her first day of P1. She was jumping, literally bouncing out of her skin, excited to get to school on the bus. 
was literally going, the bus, the bus, the bus, the bus. Excited. Like, I don't know of any other children is like that. Maybe it is just Rosie. But, like, even, like, for, if they're having, they have, like, reward charts and stuff like that there. Now, most girls probably do have that there. But, like, they have a ball pit. Mm -hmm. Century room. So if a child is feeling overwhelmed, it's not an issue. It's not like, oh, get out of my classroom. Uh, you're putting people off or you're doing this or you're doing that there. It's like, right, okay, we need to go and have quiet time here. We need to go and, we need to go and relax and calm down and stuff like that there. Let's go and we'll do this. Or there's, there's no, there's ways around it, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it's not just a, a full circle. It's a hexagon of different areas that you can do to change the situation instead of, or like calm the situation instead of just going, right, come on out of here. So your your experience so far to date with, with the, the special needs school is, is ultimately a positive one. Oh, yeah. But I guess the problem is that there's not enough places available for the children that need them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I talked uh, to my sister-in-law, and I, I suppose in trying to prepare to talk to you, I'd asked what questions could I, could I ask Adele, and mm -hmm. she had said that uh, school placement in particular could fill uh, an entire episode of a podcast by itself. Well, it could fill ten, <laughs> given the issues. Um, but I suppose if I want to move on from that, I want to understand in the beginning and. Perhaps you were better prepared than other people having worked with people with special needs mm -hmm. before you had Rosie. But for, for a parent that hasn't had that experience and are ultimately coming to this for the first time, how overwhelming can that be when you're faced with that? And do you feel, did you feel ultimately alone? Oh, yeah. Still at times you do feel alone. It doesn't matter if you have an army behind you helping you. Mm -hmm. I think for me personally, you like you're like what have I done wrong? Like that is a question that you like right, right when I was pregnant I done everything right I didn't drink caffeine I I, I was really careful and didn't eat soft cheeses and the rubbers that they tell you to do mm -hmm. like you do it like I I was I was like then going oh right okay was it because I had hyperemesis which was a severe sickness it's like was it that was I that sick that she didn't get no nutrients to her brain was it that just like you torture yourself. You, you maybe I don't know if everybody does, but I did. I remember crying myself to sleep over it, thinking, "Oh my God, did I do this to her? Am, am I the reason why my daughter has a disability?" But then you're thinking, "No, sure. Why would you think that? There, that's just like the going right. Okay, um, right. So let's just see this here. We'll we'll go outside and who gets shit on by a bird." Like it's really that's different. Like it, like that's the way I think as a parent. You need to think about it. Going, no, you didn't do nothing wrong. You've done it from yeah. from day dot. Do everything you can do in your power for your child. Like it, it's even tonight. Like you'll have days and you'll go, oh God, I know this here. Somebody else is a parent. And it doesn't matter, I think, 
even if you have if you have a million people behind you going, you're doing a good job, you're always going to find a fault in yourself. Of course. When you're parenting uh, and how you're bringing up your child, especially with a child with autism or any disability. Um, because I know that I have found myself going, going to groups and like the, you can even ask your sister now there was one day i went to go to somewhere in yuri and uh, i had a young fellow with me and he was just his nickname's rocket man if that's enough for you um and it was just like no i can't do this I put him into the car and i went home because it was just so overwhelming because you see i think a big thing is sorry if i'm waffling here but not at all go ahead like a big thing is is you see other families with neurotypical children going on days out, spontaneous days out, or spontaneous shopping trips, or they have they can be spontaneous in their in their activities and plans, but we ha- we can't mm-hmm. at all. And like it is, I don't want to say jealousy, but there is a pang in your in your chest going, oh God, I wish I wish we could just do that there. I wish things would be that easy for us. And yes, we, we don't know their lives or anything like that there. They could have a very tough life as well mm-hmm. on different aspects. But it's just like, you see, you feel like you're fighting a battle that you're never going to win. And then you see this family or mummy out in their, with their children and not even have to hold their hands. They're just walking beside her. And then you come along with your child in a, in, in a big pram that's a big big for their for their age already and people are looking going where's your turn the problem they're a bit big for that aren't they so even having had those experiences with special needs um when you when you have a neurodiverse child nothing effectively can prepare you for for the challenges that that you, that you face is that is that fair enough to say yeah that's the same as when you have your own child mm-hmm. like, no matter how much you're prepared to have a baby are you prepared to have a baby? Absolutely not. I mean, if, if I talk about me and my wife, our first child, you know, when we left the hospital that day, we were half expected someone to stop us and say, you know, Where we're you not going gonna, yeah, you leave the child here. We, we don't trust you enough to take her home. Um, so obviously it has its challenges and I can only imagine, you know, you, you've talked about how in many ways, you, initially you, you kind of looked at yourself as, you know, is this something that I've done? How did you then reach out for support, you know, emotionally? Um, how did you help or did you receive help to, to navigate your way through this in terms of receiving, you know, financial aid and the relevant benefits that you're entitled to? Reaching out to perhaps online forums or other groups or of parents that, that perhaps make you feel less alone? Um, well, I went on to every Facebook group there was that had autism in the name. Mm-hmm. And I would not recommend doing that. <laughs> okay. Because there's that many different opinions that they're contradicting themselves. Not not everybody on the groups before that it sounds like I'm going, no, don't join groups. Blah, blah, blah. It's more take everybody's advice with a piece of salt. Mm-hmm. It's the same with every aspect in your life. Like you cannot take advice or listen to advice, but you don't have to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, what works for somebody won't work for you. What works for you mightn't work for somebody else. Um, that's the way to kind of tiptoe around it. Um, 
yes, looking up different things, like one thing I always noticed, if there was bad weather coming, Rosie would just, would just, she'd be holding her head or she'd be rocking or there'd be something like that there. And I just couldn't figure it out. And then I looked up, I can't remember what exactly I looked up, but it was something about the biometrics or biological, no, biometrics, water pressure in the brain, something along them lines, something about the pressure in your brain, the water's in your, the fluid in your brain, basically, that when there's thunder or there's heavy winds or heavy weather, it it kind of like shakes, not shakes, but like puts pressure on the fluids in your brains. We wouldn't notice it as such, mm-hmm. but they do. And it was even just figuring that out, going, right, okay, so looking up the weather report and go, right, okay, well, say next Tuesday is going to be very windy. We'll expect we'll expect some bad behaviour or moodiness or stuff like that there. Just even simple things like that there. Like, I think doing your own research is, is nearly easier because a lot of the times you go onto them groups as well and... It can be very overwhelming because you put up, say, a post saying, right, okay, so my autistic child, nonverbal, trying to potty train, can you help or can you advise? And you could have 10,000 comments. Well, maybe not 10,000, but you could have, it feels like 10,000 comments. That's something. Or do it that way or do it this way. As it relates to autism, like I've seen that another term for it is autism spectrum disorder mm-hmm. and that effectively every case of autism is different it's in its, different so i suppose that in itself when you're looking online to for help mm-hmm. the, the the range of, of differences is so broad that it could be yeah. incredibly difficult to find something that perhaps relates to you and your daughter yeah well, was there, very careful as well when you're on the groups of how you say autism because mm-hmm. if you say like a lot of people prefer autistic person or okay. autistic child. But if you say, um, because it used to be, I think years ago, it used to be like um, level one autism, level two autism, level three or high functioning or low functioning. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of outweighed completely now. Like you don't say them at all. And if you, as a person that has a child with autism, we don't know the exact term. Our child doesn't able to tell us, go, well, do you, want to, do you want me to call you a child with autism or autistic or what? And it just feels like we're, we are trying our best, but like it doesn't matter what you do or in any of these form, forms, that it can be very intimidating. And where else have you gone then for support that, that, you, find, um, that you find I it was, useful? I was referred to Bolster Community mm-hmm. in Yerry. They have been incredible, absolutely amazing. And are they specifically? Um... Um, they, they, it, people with disabilities. Okay. Um, they have, so at, at the start, I was uh, on an eight-week program where a support worker came out to the house and would um, play with Rosie and Eddie and I could, I could go up to, go up to bed for an hour, even to sleep. Mm. or go down to the shop or go for a coffee or something like that they're literally giving you a respite for that hour 
which was incredible. And then after the eight weeks, they began Tots and Tea in okay. Market Hill. So there was other parents with other children. With, there was autism and a few other disabilities. And it was incredible because when you're in that bubble and you don't know anybody else in it, you feel very suffocated because yeah. you don't have anybody to talk to or anybody. Yes, there's other people that you know that's been in it, but it's very, very hard to go up to somebody going, well, how are you? My child's autistic. I know yours is too. Can I ask for, ask for some advice? And it, I, I, if anybody came up to me and asked me that, I would be like, yeah, anything I can help you with, I'll help you with. You could, I'll help anybody with anything if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very daunting process to try and put yourself out there because you don't know how anybody's going to take you or your child. I suppose, like you've said, you know, you feel there's a vulnerability there, you know, that yeah. you're leaving yourself exposed and mm-hmm. um, that that can't be easy. So if, if I were to talk about the support that you receive from Bolster, how long do, do they kind of forecast that they'll support you? You know, is, is um, there a fear that at some point, I mean, is there a gap in support where they get to a certain age and, you know, they don't cater to children at that age? Or- they do lots of different programs. They also, they're, they're Charlie based to start off with. Okay. So, um, like things like the lottery fund and stuff like that there is how they're able to do these things and like we've done a few fundraisers for them um but like they they have like say tots and tea and then there's best club and then there's that's like after school club mm-hmm. i think it's the p7 it could be older i'm not entirely sure and then they have like there's a group for girls and there's like different things and they could be just wee bits and pieces that they can learn to do as a growing girl for independence. And um, then there is the acorn candles. So they have adults with disabilities that make candles. Okay. So they label them, they do the scents up, they do the wax up, they pour them. Like they're in places like Calavi Castle. They're beautiful candles. Um, and then they have, what else do they have? They have um, like a cafe as well where um, they have adults and stuff working in it. So do you feel do you feel confident, you know, granted your daughter's still quite young, um, but do you feel confident through her early teens and on into adulthood that the support's there for you and her? In a way, there's a support and a lot of ways there's not. Mm-hmm. In certain areas, depending on where you live, there's more support. Um, like Rosie, when Rosie will be in school till she's, she's seventeen, in the special school, yeah. and then it's after that there is kind of the unknown. Yes, there is places like day centres and stuff like that there, um, but then it's like. I want to give her the normality of growing up and getting a job and 
that kind of thing. But it's it's until then you don't know how things will progress. You you be delighted every everything that does progress, but you don't want to say right in ten years time we're going to be going to this here, and in ten years time you're going to be working here or mm-hmm. um. You know what I mean? That kind of way. That's that's what I wanted to talk about because I would imagine, obviously, before she got her diagnosis, you're fearful, if that's the right word, that your daughter might have autism. Mm-hmm. But then having received the diagnosis, obviously, it creates, I would imagine, a new set of fears because I guess you probably project your fear into the future for your daughter and mm-hmm. perhaps challenges that, that she might face. What are those fears with respect to your daughter's future, or do you, do you try and not to think too much about those? Um. Well, some things is quite uh, sorry. In some ways, you'd be thinking right. Well, things like let me think. Now I'm trying to get the right words out here that it's not coming out muddled. Like you want your child to succeed in everything they do. Mm-hmm. that's just a normal parent thing but with the likes of Rosie Rosie's fantastic she does have some things that can be worked on as all people we can always work on ourselves <laughs> but it's kind of the fear of worrying that if, if, if she goes into somewhere will people get on with her not get on with her but Will people respect her as much as another colleague mm-hmm. and things like that there? Do you know, like, going into, say, a shopping, say, a supermarket, and there's somebody, like, doing the till, and they could be a wee bit slower than the other ones doing the till, and there's people there going, frick's sake, what they hurry up? Why are they even doing this job if they're not capable? That's... Uh- like, in my view, and I'm obviously not best equipped to to make judgment, but just as an observation, I mean, I, I don't recall kind of in my childhood going in the teenage years being all too aware of autism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm 40 now, but I'm still, in my mind, still relatively young. But growing up, I wasn't aware of autism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in many ways, as it relates to society, I think, we're still relatively in the infancy in terms of understanding autism, what we what we need to do uh, in, in order to best support kids and adults and their development mm-hmm. to, to create a society where they're included. So I, I still think, and you, you can probably testify to this, there's an awful long way to go. I mean, one of the statistics I've seen is that, I mean, if I just look at it, like of adult adults with a diagnosis of autism, only 21.7% of them are in full-time employment, mm-hmm. even though they have the skills, the willingness, uh, and the want to get into the workplace. So I, I can understand your fears as it relates to that. So I think there's, there's an awful long way to go in terms of educating, myself included, you know, um, how far do you feel we have to go in terms of where we are to where you hope to get in terms of our general understanding? 
I'd say we're at the five meter and we need to get to the hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, not just on like thinking of the futures and stuff, even just in the communities themselves. Um, there, I've been in more situations where I've went home crying, bawling my eyes out because of the of comments on people, of snide remarks, dirty looks because my daughter's in a pram. And it's not like you can you can nearly tell you, I think you can clearly tell a difference between a special needs pram and a normal pram. Mm-hmm. Um I've been at a place before and I said, Rosie, right, it's time. It was a park we were at and she said it was time to go. And Rosie had a, was having a meltdown because she clearly didn't understand at the time, right, it was time to go. I was still trying to get to the point where we're on a happy medium with, right, okay, it's time to go, we're going to go. Um, even bravery to a point, saying, right, come on, we'll get ice cream, we'll leave here and we'll go and get ice cream. And this one goes... Oh my God, what a spoilt wee bitch. And now this woman, she wasn't she wasn't in her thirties, she wasn't in her forties, she wasn't in her fifties, she was older. Mm-hmm. And I think it it's it's to the point now, it's like a lot of people go, Oh, it's a new a new age disability, autism. But it's not at all. It's always been there. It doesn't it just hasn't just appeared out of thin air. That's it's something I, I, obs- I observed. Just glanced over as bad behaviour. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, 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 some of the perception that I've seen is that it's like you said, a new age disability. But in many respects, we've just gotten better at diagnosing it, which mm-hmm. would explain a lot of the diagnosis and certainly the rise in, in cases of autism. Yeah. You've touched upon it already, um, but I obviously wanted to talk about some of the negative experiences that you and your daughter um, have encountered. You know, whether it be out shopping at a park, and and how how does that make you feel? First and foremost, do you get a sense that people don't know that you have a daughter with autism, and they just make the snide remark as it relates to you and a normal, you know, neurotypical child, or do you feel that even though they might sense as a disability, they still pass a mark? Um, a few different things to be honest with you um, it has been where it's just dirty looks um, we were at a football match one time in the athletic grounds in Armagh and there's too much going on um, looking back now we weren't even wise in the head bringing her <laughs> but you, you live and you learn there's things you can do and there's things you can't do it's as simple mm-hmm. as that there. But so I walked her up to the shop, got her juice and a new dummy and bits and pieces and walked her back and she was screaming, oh, the crater, she screamed. And um, I brought her into the disabled toilets, took her out of the buggy, run the water because water is really relaxing for her. She loves water. Um, and she was still still screaming, but starting to relax. And my husband, he was outside the door, and some woman had said something smart to him about it. Going, do you think people learn how to look after the children or something? 
something about disciplining their children. I can't really remember exactly what was said, but I can just remember him telling her where to go and to mind her own business. Um, There's been like a couple of weeks ago, even in Sainsbury's, I don't know what it is about Sainsbury's, but Rosie just can't cope. Um, I took her out of it because I had to hold her head the whole way around it and people just looking and gawking, just open mouthed as if they've never seen another person holding another person before in their life. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just ignorance, a lot of it, I think. But like I was down in the bottom car park of Sainsbury's in Armagh and Rosie, God love her now, she was having a tough time. I was suspecting a seizure was coming on as well, which doesn't help matters because um, it can just put her, her behaviour crazy and to a point where it's just hitting and kicking and pulling her and just hitting out because it's obvious there's, there's this tension that she can't get rid of. Obviously, that's why she's like that. But I think I was 25 minutes trying to get her from the pram to into the car which wasn't a meter of difference and 11 couples of people walked past me not one of them people asked do you need help and like it could be the say can i help you and they go no no it's okay thank you i really appreciate it mm-hmm. but it's ones that i'm asking for exactly like that so in your experience obviously I don't want to say I don't want to say the vast majority of parents or adults for that matter don't know enough because obviously I can't stand by that but how would you in your view if you could how would you help other people better understand autism and the challenges that it brings to the child and parent alike and because I guess we need to readjust how we think and and not be ignorant and try to understand and accommodate. That's, I guess that's the end goal. That's what we need to get to, but we're obviously not there. But in your view, how, how can we implement something that helps people understand better? Um, I think the first thing I would do, honestly, is get every parent to fill out the amount of forms they have to fill out. Because it's not as simple as, right, sign here, tick here, this, that, and the other. Like for something as simple as benefits. We'll mm-hmm. still talk about benefits, right? So Rosie um has mo- she has mobility issues to the point where it's safety awareness under the ASMI, which is a severe mental impairment. Mm-hmm. Um she qualifies for mobility. But she didn't. She didn't qualify for cure even at the start. When I had first applied for for the benefits for her. So then I requested uh, reconsideration, was declined again. What was was the grounds that they they declined? Um, Firstly, it was... um, like they literally used one sentence out of it saying, Rosie can walk. That's what I wanted to understand. Like how fit for purpose is the means by which they measure a child's oh, case? Not, it is not at all. Because if I 
I th- I would love to say to the people that is do the deciders on it. Like I had to bring DWP to the tribunal for an appeal court mm-hmm. for my daughter to get her what she, what she what she deserves because like it's it's like there's cost to having children, but there's cost to having children that you have to replace with special needs prams. You have to have a special seat, special harness. Um, stir gates on every room. Constantly br- broken things like TVs and like that's only the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Like I would say, say to the people that's deciding, go, can you come to my house? You spend twenty four hours with my child, and then you decide. Because how you can decide on a questioner that isn't even detailed enough? Like we come, like I remember putting in. 42 or 49 pictures and I put in umpteen files of of papers of diagnostics to, of of different things and still being said no because I I think they're just it's just a, a yes or no box and go right right if you say no here's here's a wee bonus for you they don't want to do it so why why would you say yes to somebody when you can get a bonus for saying no? Mm-hmm. Because that's nobody with a conscience is going to look through these things, look at all the daily activities or daily daily tasks that you have to go through, like no sleep or refusing to eat or having to only only eat certain things at the same time every day. Like you can't change routine. You can't even go say to a different park that you usually go to and for somebody to go oh no no sure they can walk it says what they can walk there so we'll just say yep they can walk refuse with 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 regard to rosie it's not just autism i mean Mm -hmm. she's also been diagnosed with epilepsy which Mm -hmm. i've read that can be common um with an autism yeah they're they're just apparently there is a correlation between learned disabilities autism and um epilepsy rosie's R- rosie wasn't born with epilepsy okay Um, it didn't appear to she was nearly was it two around the age of two anyway and it was just one evening out of the blue rosie was sleeping and it was, so it was like four or five o'clock and i was like jesus christ i need to get this child up or she's not gonna sleep the night even though she didn't sleep through the night anyway so i don't know why i was worried <laughs> And as, as I went to wake her, her whole body started to, to shake. And her eyes was rolling and she was going... <coughs> and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I rang, I rang my mummy and I was like, I think Rosie's had a seizure here. And I said it to her and she like, right, okay. And I goes, I'm going to ring the doctor. So I rang the doctor, doctor for an ambulance. Ambulance came for her. Uh, by the time the ambulance came, she was... Oh, sitting up as happy as Laurie and as if nothing ever happened. But that was the the start of a long another long road for us because she had she had so many different types of seizures. Thank God now touch wood that um they seem to be far and few between. Mm-hmm. But it was at a point where it was she, in the middle of the night she was seizing. Um she was having drop seizures. She has has absent seizures quite regular, so she's literally just like I got there and you could touch her nose and nothing. Um, 
like there was one day I was literally driving into the school and I was two months in the road and I looked and she looked this here and said. That has and to be. Like when, in, when in, you see that there, you're like, oh my God, is my child even breathing here? That has to be incredibly frightening. And I would imagine heartbreaking each and every time those things happen. I mean, that that has to take an emotional toll on you. It's You can't do anything. I think it's because you feel, you're so helpless because there's, there's literally nothing you can do, only make sure that child is in a, a safe space. I've seen us, lit, I, me literally carrying her out of like a, a full area and literally getting, say, a meter out the door and me getting her on like across my legs and her start to cease because I've got to the point where I can nearly, if I see like, all, that's all I have to say is to go, right, this is going to happen here now. I need to get her out of here. Like there was a play, there's a play a place in Armagh, Gulliver's, and I remember she was having the time of her life. Oh my God, she was having the best time. And I spotted up in the corner, I was like looking at her, and I seen the lift going. And see, by the time I got to, to where she was, she was falling down the side, season. I think, and I'm, it's a testament to you, and I think Rosie is very lucky to have the mum that she does because you seem to be incredibly in tune with her mm-hmm. uh, uh, and there's that connection. And sometimes I would imagine even when there's not nonverbal, there's almost a telepathy between you and your daughter that mm-hmm. you can sense. And I think she's very lucky to have you as her mom. Um, what, what else does, does Rosie have in terms of perhaps sensory issues? Um, it used to be, it used to be a lot more than there is now. She seems to have kind of became more leveled out. Mm-hmm. And sense like the clothes what used to be. Well, it still would be an issue. I think it's more to the point where I know what not to buy, so I don't even look at it. Mm-hmm. Like I, there was, um, I remember it was my birthday. Eddie was, I think he was 16 days old or something like that. There, We're going to my mummy's in beautiful dress. Oh, it was gorgeous. It was sequins all over it. But no, oh no, it was it was hell on earth. I couldn't get the dress off her quick enough. It was it was the big one of the biggest meltdowns she's ever had. Where she she just hid out and bit and stuff like that there because it was obviously to her it was probably feeling real claustrophobic and itchy or because we we she couldn't tell us how she felt. But it's it's the same like says mm-hmm. if says if you put on. A suit jacket or unzipped it up or something like that that was too tight and you but you could go right okay i don't like this i'm going to take this off but but you're at a size where you can't say take this off me i don't like how i feel in this here and it was just kind of thinking right okay but she doesn't like this material we'll stay away from that there or even i noticed i never noticed this until a few years ago to my husband says to me do you know you feel all your clothes when you're walking around the shops but this is before even I had children. But like, like you wouldn't make clothes for yourself that you didn't like the feel of. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So like, if I don't like the feel of it for myself, why would I buy for my child? Is the way that I think. Mm-hmm. And like, like tight fitting clothes wouldn't have been something that should have liked. Everything was loose. Um, 
for a long time it was just jogging bottoms on a t-shirt or a jumper and um, now she's obsessed with dresses and unicorns and just the really princess party going on now with respect um to, to close and i guess it's just kind of come to me and i'm a little curious how do schools accommodate obviously i would imagine most schools have, have a set uniform and, and attire mm. but with, with regards to kids with autism and sensory issues, I mean, is the accom- is the accommodation made if the child's not comfortable in oh, the yeah. uniform? Like, okay. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of accommodations. Like there was even, even last year, like there was days where the whole uniform was plain. There was a black jogging bottoms, red jumper, white t-shirt, like polo top. That was it, and pair of trainers, and. Um, there's one day she wouldn't put it on the trousers. She wanted to scare off. I rang up and I was like, well, Rosie's mummy. She won't wear trousers. She's worn a skirt. Um, that's the only way I can get her. That's all right. Send her on in. That's fine. Mm-hmm. If a child happy and comfortable, then miserable and hate what they're wearing or whatever. Like, yes, I'd say there's to a certain degree, there's like, right, you can't wear that there. But like, as long as it's, even anywhere in the vicinity of the guidelines. Like it's, it's like there's a formal uniform and a casual uniform, which you couldn't beat that. Like, like I wish all schools had a casual uniform. Absolutely. But like yeah. a jumper, joggers, and a polo top, or the formal one is for girls, it's a skirt, or boys, it's trousers, a shirt, a tie, and a jumper. But like Rosie won't wear the tie, but sure. It's just wearing the rest of it. If if I can talk also then with respect to sensory issues and, and symptoms, obviously we're obviously a long way off from where we need to be in trying to accommodate autism and, and people, children and ad- adults. But you can see it changes and certainly progression. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you go to and I can't say most shopping centers, but certainly some that I've been to. They have a, a sensory room mm-hmm. in, or, in order to change children's clothes yeah. or just take them to in order to calm them down. You see in shopping centers where they have certain times set aside, um, autism friendly. Yeah. Um, and in schools, like if I speak to my own daughter's school in Malaban, um, they now have a sensory room. Mm-hmm. How much more do we need to do? Because obviously when you go to a restaurant, loud, busy place, mm-hmm. you don't have that luxury, which makes it yeah. very difficult for you uh, and, and Rosie. What else can we expect uh, in terms of society and what, what do we need to do and introduce to make most experiences more uh, comfortable? Um, well, in re- retrospect to the lengths of supermarkets and stuff like that there, yes, fabulous, just have autism-friendly times. But a lot of these places have times, like say, from nine to ten in the morning, or from six to seven. Which just to understand your busier times and all that there. But it kind of is like right. It's a kick in the teeth. We're only able to take our child at this time because this is the time we're set set for us. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the the sensory units in shopping centres are great. Yeah. But a lot of them, 
some of them, not all of them, but this is what I think for all places. If you are saying you have a disabled toilet and changing facility, like a changing facility shouldn't only fit up to a child uh two year old. What about changing an adult? Mm-hmm. Because there's been more places where um when Rosie was in Nobby's all the time that I was literally having to sit on the floor to change child's nappy in hotels especially. And it's 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 very degrading mm-hmm. that we're sitting on the floor that is probably covered in piss and God knows what else. When was the last time it was cleaned and you're sitting on the floor holding a child over you, trying to change them while they're cracking up getting changed because nobody likes getting changed. And then hearing somebody going, um, are you so okay in there? It doesn't, Sorry, doesn't, I, I, you need to be in there. Doesn't help matters. No, because people, people as well as it's an invisible disability is another thing. Like I feel like people want us to walk around with a big placard saying autistic, look at us. Do we look alright days now that we we'll have a sign above our head saying this child's autistic? Um, like it's sometimes that's what you feel like you have to do for people just to go, all right, okay. What then if we talk about some of some of what is commonly misunderstood about autism? In your experience, what, what are those things? Um That everybody, everybody seems to think, like I, that a child with or person with autism is literally going to sit in the corner and just rock back and forth like that there. Like, oh, they're definitely autistic. They're rocking. Like that necessarily has to be like this here the whole time in their face for them to be autistic. Like there's a lot of perceptions of what they've seen as autistic and think that's what you have to have that is autistic. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's quite annoying because people are like, oh, your child doesn't look autistic. And then you feel like saying, oh, well, you don't talk, look like an ass, but you're, ta- you're talking like one. <laughs> you know, that type of way, you're, it's, people seem to think it has to look a certain way. And that is a big thing that has always annoyed me. Because people are like, oh, well, she doesn't look autistic. Like, you would never tell. And it's like, well, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say I'm making up that my child's autistic? For the crack of it, like. I'm going through all these diagnoses and appointments here. And, like, even education authority having to go through them to get her into a special school. Like, it's, it's, it's no plain sailing. And I don't think anybody should ever think that either. I don't think people do think that. Well, maybe they do. I just um, don't think people know enough. Yeah, like I, I was blind to it all. But I was blind to a certain point. Like you literally think, right, okay, right. So we've seen Pete's going to um, get her diagnosed with autism. That's it. Bish, bosh, bosh, gone. But it's nowhere near that. It seems not easy. And again, this is just having talked to you and obviously my sister-in-law mm-hmm. is that in many ways you, you're effectively left alone as a parent to navigate your way through this uh, in order to get what's 
rightfully yours in terms of the support that your child mm -hmm. needs, the benefits that you need, um, and that you're not necessarily helped. There could be a lot more help out there. That's, that's, that, absolutely, that, that's my point. Um, have you, and I'm, I'm curious about this, and obviously each case of autism is different, but as it relates to your daughter, have you had to change um, your home in any way to cater to her needs? Um, um, obviously, you mentioned the stair gates in every room and stuff, but... Yeah. I have bought... Well, sorry, my brother got me locks for the windows. Um, we have... You know the wooden, wooden windows in houses? Mm -hmm. um, well, so I re replaced the wee picks out of it. You know that the wee bar goes on to, and I have locks on... Um, Two out of every out of every three windows, um, just so they can't just jump out the windows because when we moved into this house, all oh, that was great cracked fire and stuff out the window. They're going, oh, we can get out the window. Um, every door is locked. Um, there's stair gates on the kitchen, um, their rooms and my room, so the kitchen is blocked off with the stair gates, so they can't get into the utility room or get out the back door, unless they're pull the stargate off which has happened a few times there's only so much you want you want your house to be a home mm -hmm. not a prison absolutely yeah like you want them to feel comfortable in their own home not to feel like i'm locked in here do you well, feel like I, I wanted to understand like obviously autism for rosie and you is a, is a big part of of your life mm -hmm. but i mean are there pockets in the day where it's there's normality I mean, that's a difficult thing to, to to say what is normal and what's not. But if, if you'd have asked me this time last year, would you have been able to sit down and go, God, today was a good day? I'd have said, no. I'd have said it was a bad day with some good parts. Now I'd say it's a good day. It might have been a bad issue or a couple of issues, but it's not a write-off. And what's 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 helped you get from that point to this point? Um, special school. Okay. First and foremost, um, trying to it takes it takes a lot of time to figure out your child. In a way, any any child, it doesn't matter if they're whatever. It doesn't matter. It, like it takes you time to go right. Okay, well, this is what they like, and this is what they don't like. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if your child's special needs or not. <laughs> um, and it was so much harder to figure out the likes rather than the dislikes because when you watch dislikes because it was through or it was uh -uh type of thing. But when you finally hit watch likes, it's like, oh, wow, I'm doing good here. I'm actually succeeding because you feel like you're such a failure because... You can't figure out what what your child wants or what your child needs. Like every, everybody, one thing you always want is love and affection. But for a long time, it was trying to trying to find out the happy medium of, right, is she looking a hug here or is she looking to do something here? Or even is she pulling me out of the road because she wants me to do something or is she just looking me to go away? <laughs> even just be simple things like that yes now she can say, take away 
go away or stay there and it, it makes a big difference like I know people always say to you life gets easier and not always be this hard and wait like this if you'd said that to me like I'd said to my mother today I goes could you imagine me that like this this time last year I, like ju- just dropped them off school going right still the ground last year I was a mess going Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! She's she's gonna she's gonna be at all banger and going to get a phone call that she's expelled and you learn that it's all going to be okay as long as you keep your head level mm-hmm. because there's no point just worrying about you can worry to you, your hair falls out or you go blind or whatever you can worry to dead ones in delight. There's no point because Wayne's not going to change if it happens or not. You've probably answered my next question in, uh, in, so, much, in so much as I wanted to understand what have you learned about yourself? And I suppose one thing, and I think you probably do this now at this point, is, is to be kinder to yourself. Give yourself a break. Don't be too hard on yourself. But what else have you, have you learned about yourself through the challenges? Um, well, the be kinder to yourself, that's only in the last, I would say, a few weeks. Um, I, as a, as a mother of, of a child with special needs, I don't know if, well, I, I know another few parents have said this here, but like, you generally, right, when you become a parent, father's Go back to work after a couple of weeks. Go to work, come home. Still have their, still can have their social life and all that jazz. Mothers, we grow a baby in us. We birth the baby. That's us. We're that we're that child's mother. They need us for everything and anything from here on. Um, we all lose our identity. And what well, I have on a lot, a lot of. Mothers, you'll ask and say, well, when I came a mother, I kind of lost who I was. I was just this person that had to look after somebody else mm-hmm. and not even know what they want or need or just firing in the deep end. And you get so lonely. And it's a loneliness that you don't talk about because you're like, oh, my God, if I say it, if I go into the doctor and go, well, I'm really feeling down here because... I feel like I can't cope mm-hmm. with the, these massive changes in your life. Like it's not like you're 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 going and getting something else for your dinner. Like it's literally your whole body changes, your mindset changes, your routine routine changes, and once you get over that part, you're like, right, okay, we're doing well here. We're sucking days, and then you're hit with. Okay, well, my child's not progressing like all the children's progressing. Should I be worried here? We'll wait it out. We'll say, okay, but they're still not progressing the way I thought they would have. Maybe I should say something here. So then you say something to a sibling or a parent or their, your partner. or Then you go, right, okay, maybe I should do something here. So then you go to the point where you do something. And then your head with autism or... If you didn't, if you already knew it was all terms like, right, learn difficulties or this or that or the ah, uh, and you're like, right, okay, well, what do I do now? 
and people are like, oh, read up about it. Train yeah, for I mean, And you're like, okay, we'll do that there. And then there's so much conflicting advice and like, it's the type of thing you'd need. Like, I'd love to just go, right, do a big Facebook live, right, I'm a mother of autistic children or an autistic child. Ask me what you want. I'm here. You need to give me a ring. Give me a ring. If you need to go out for a coffee, fire your children at my house. Go on ahead for a coffee. Because you feel like you feel guilty for anything you do. Like if I would have been like, say I went and got shopping or whatever and I got say Rosie something nice, Nettie something nice, my husband something nice. And they go, oh, do you know what? I really like that cheese. Fuck it, I don't need that there. Put it back, put it back. Is that what tends to happen? And I mean, I, I can say it of other people in my life that mums tend to... We'll take to, the, back, the back seat. ...to do without, um, which is so unfair. Um, I mean, I've in the introduction to this... I've said that you're someone that is worthy of all our admiration. And that's to be said of mums across the board. Um, I think they do so much for us. They have incredible resourcefulness and true strength, um, which many men don't don't have the capacity for. I don't think so. Not to the same degree that mothers do. There's, there's a strength and a conviction in what they're doing. There's a courage um, that can only be admired. So I hope that, that you, you're aware of that. And, you know, it's something that we're not quick to do with ourselves is to give ourselves credit. Um, mm-hmm. But I hope, that, I hope that you do. Yeah, well, I, I, I'll be honest. I don't really take compliments very well. I just brush them off because it's like it's. I think it's more like you're doing what you need to do. And you're like, why are you complimenting me? This is my job type of thing. But it's more of, it's being appreciated, not appreciated, that's not the right word I want to use, but people go, all right, well, she can do that. Do you know she can do that there? She's really good at that there. Or um, not even in that aspect, but kind of like that. Like to the point where, like in the group that, say in the WhatsApp group we're in, um, I would be, one of the first that was in it and going through processes and stuff like that there. And a lot of ones would ask me questions and I'm so happy that to be able to help somebody else because I didn't have anybody to help me. Mm-hmm. And to be able to go, somebody go, Edel, can I ask you a question or can you talk here for 10 minutes? And I'm like, yeah. And even if it's somebody bawling down the phone, you, you need to get that out. Like sun, the sun can't shine without a bit of rain. Like it's 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 the only way to think of it. Like if you're building up all these emotions where you're so stressed out and frustrated and all that there, and you get to a point where you you're like, oh my god, am I taking out my children because I'm always shouting? Because you don't want you want to give them your best. You want to be the best for yourself. You want to be the best for your partner. But at the same time, you you suck in all this issues that's surrounding you I know as a mother and you try and do it all yourself so you don't have to put that pressure on anybody else and then you're just sitting there and you're burnt out and 
if uh, like maybe you get hospitalized <laughs> because you're just so stressed with everything that goes on that you just can't you can't function and I think it's one thing that we need to do in general is support mothers more not even just support them but just say do you know what you do here do you know what you do I have you booked in there to go and get a massage done or because it's not something we're going to we're not going to go do you know what I want and book myself a massage a lot of the time we'll go oh fuck I know what I could do with that I could get them a new school bag with that or a new, a new do you know what she needs she'll need a new coat in a couple of weeks now or need this need that there Let's put herself to the very bottom of the list for a treat. You did say it, and you'd said it wasn't perhaps the word you were looking for, but I think appreciation is the word mm-hmm. that you sh- that you should be showing more. Um, and that's to be said of my own wife. Uh, I'm a, I think I'm, I'm, women, I'm not just saying that I'm not appreciated in case it comes across like that there. No, but all too often you don't get the appreciation or the recognition. Um, and it's not that we're looking for it. Um, obviously, we've talked about negative experiences, um, which can leave their own emotional scars. But are there positive experiences that you've had that equally have uplifted you and elevated you in some way? Uh, there, there is, yes. Um, we stayed in a hotel in Sligo, the Radisson Blue. Beautiful, beautiful hotel. But they have a sanctuary suite. Mm-hmm. And from the second we walked through the doors going in to the second we were walking through the doors going home, we were treated like royalty. And it says a lot to feel loved in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Like I had booked it saying my daughter's got autism, one to book the century suite, blah, blah, blah. And um, like to the point where when I was checking in, the receptionist, she uh, rang through to the manager and the manager was like, right, I'm finishing the room up here now. I'll come down and get them. To the point where she went up to the room, she closed all the curtains, she put all the sensory lights on. She had um, teddy bears for the children. She had books for them. She had soothing music on a radio just for us walking into the room. Like it was top notch. And like I'm not saying everywhere we'll go, we need to get that type of treatment. Mm-hmm. But it's even if you just got a smidge of that, it makes such like, a difference. It does make such a difference. Like there was a few months ago, um, Rosie got the art award for the Texco art competition. So we um, went down to County Meath. Was it? It was, it was a good. It was a good journey away. Anyway. And so when Rosie, we walked in, Rosie was all happy and seeing her picture up on the wall and one of the balloons are like, yeah, Rosie, you work away, you take the balloons. And it was just like people talking to her as a person. Like they didn't know if she could communicate or not. All they know is that her name was Rosie and she was in a special needs school. So they weren't able to decipher exactly what diagnosis she had or anything like that there. Um, and it was just being treated as first-class citizens. And I say that because you're all, in my opinion, I feel like special needs a lot of the time, 
especially with education, not like not an educate. I don't know how I'm wording this now. To not sound bad, but like for school places. Sorry, I'm going back to that again. <laughs> for school places, children in Northern Ireland in mainstream find out on the twenty seventh of April. It can be two to three months after before a child with special needs finds out. And that's find out um, whether it's a nursery place or if they have a primary school place. How can that? How can they justify that? That because one, there's that many luck in a place and that little places to give is the only thing that I can rational rational out that that's why. But like even things like that. Like, why is it for, like, there's only 6% of car parking spaces that have to be disabled. Seems a very low number. Yeah. Like, are you trying to say for 100 people, only six have a disability and it could be visible or, or invisible? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously to be said of autism, but it's to be said of disability or learning needs across the board that we're so far short of where we need to be. Mm hmm in making it a fully inclusive society. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously there's hope, you know, when there, you talk there, there always is hope, but it's, it's making sure the hope doesn't burn out. Yeah. I think it's uplifting when you talk about that special needs school and the impact that it's had on your daughter, those experiences give you hope, you mm -hmm. know, for, for as much that we can be frustrated for the lack of, of services and um, support, when you do see good people doing good things, it, mm. I think it it's uplifting. And yeah. there's a reassurance there that there are people that are there for your best interest. Mm. So we've talked about positives, um, but I, I, I wanna talk about the girl herself because I think all too often when you talk about someone with learning difficulties or disability, you talk about them, I don't know how to word it properly, but you talk about them with the label attached. Yeah. Whereas if I were talking about you, I'm not applying a label to you. Yeah. I see you as the person that you are. You're not um, rosy with autism. Yeah. So obviously autism is a big part of her life and that's something that she'll mm -hmm. live with. But autism aside, tell me about Rosie and all that she does because I read a wonderful thing that you posted on your Facebook um, as it relates to, I think it was her birthday, um, but you'd said that she had effectively exceeded every limitation and continues to push boundaries. And mm -hmm. she seems to be a remarkable young girl. Tell me about her. Oh, Rosie's just, Rosie's incredible. And I'm not just saying that because she's my daughter, but if you, nearly anybody in, my family that you ask. Maybe we're all best. <laughs> but you ask about Rosie and you smile. Rosie is the most beautiful. She's like a cherub. Beautiful ginger cherub with this porcelain skin. Beautiful smile and wears glasses. And she's just so, so bubbly. Um, loves unicorns and... McDonald's, of course. Oh, yeah, the old <laughs> Um Loves going to the slide, which is 
um, Gulliver's, which is like a, a soft play area. And she loves her cousins and just, she loves art. Fantastic at painting. Um, she just loves outside. She loves everything. Like whatever she does, she loves. And um, she's so, like, there's people that you meet in life that you never forget for how they treat other people. Mm -hmm. Like Rosie would be very gentle around people that you wouldn't necessarily think you'd need to be gentle around. But like other people that have hidden disabilities or like it's nearly like she can sense, sense, okay, I need to be gentle here, so I'll be gentle. And you'd be like, you're not the gentle with me, yet. But she's so she's so much empathy for other people. And it, it's not even, I think it's just her in herself. And like, there's days that you'd feel like rubbish or I'd just go and fire in a bit of makeup over and Rosie go, oh, mommy pity. Or she, like even, there was a few months at the start of the, Start of spring, I was like, right, Rosie, will we plant some flowers? She goes, yeah, flowers. So I just had them all organised, what I was going to pot and where, and Rosie just... Farring them all in. The ones that I was looking to plant didn't, didn't grow. Rosie's is this big, beautiful, massive gladiolus. And I was like, of course. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, she, she could... She could turn a dirty penny and polish it. You know, I don't know what the saying is there, but what she could she could brighten up a dull day is what I'm trying to say. Like everything about her, she's just incredible. Like when I said limitations that she did have when we were going through like the pediatrics and the start of the assessments and stuff, they were like, oh well. She, well, she may talk, she might, mightn't. So don't be like thinking, well, she's going to talk, so we're going to get her talking because it may never happen. And just things like that there and you're like, right, okay. So you're thinking, oh, well, she can't ever do this here. What are we going to do? But she has exceeded that there. And just other wee things like able to, something as simple as you be able to use a fork. Like, you, you don't think about it. Child normally just holds up the fork, but for a long time, everything was just hands. It was mm-hmm. probably the sensory issues with the forks. But even drinking out of a cup, oh my God, I, I, I had tears in my eyes when, she first, when I first seen her drinking out of a cup, which doesn't seem like a big deal. But... There's a lot of a lot of different things that go into holding a cup that you wouldn't think about. Mm-hmm. Like and then putting on her socks. I was like, oh my God, wow, amazing. Like I have always said, well, not always said, since I've had a child with extra needs, that yes, when you have a child, you made all the milestones. But we're even luckier that our milestones aren't over the space of one year. We have the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. 
So while you have to go, oh yeah, at month, month three they've done this, month four they've done this, month five they've done this, we're like, yeah, at four she started to talk. Or at, at four and a half she was able to hold a cup by herself and, and, and actually drink out of it. And it's just like, we're the, we're, I, I feel like we're luckier. I think in a way that we, we get to enjoy the milestones for longer. When I talked to um, my sister-in-law and I had asked her, um, she was very clear that I asked about the positives of autism mm -hmm. and that those kids um, bring their own color and wonder into the world. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, your daughter could brighten a dull day. Mm -hmm. um, it's clear to, to see that you're immensely proud um, and and I think that she does continue to break through those glass ceilings and mm -hmm. and I guess prove you know those those things that she's measured against wrong mm -hmm. is 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 wonderful. Um, as it, as it relates to other people, if if you could leave them with something in order to educate them uh, as it relates to autism. What would you leave them with if you were to give them a sentiment or, or something that they can take away with them? Oh. You know, whether it be patience or, you know. One thing I would say for definite is if you saw a struggling parent or mother, father, grandparent, somebody that has a child or an adult with them that may look nearly not nearly normal but they may you may see they may seem a little bit different and you see that person struggling all you have to say is are you okay that can make a whole world of difference and that mightn't seem like a big thing maybe to me it is i think it's because when you're, you're sitting there and struggling and somebody says do you need help i'm like thank you for offering but I don't know if you could help me. And it, it can be a lot of the case. You'd be no good helping me. But it's somebody else actually going right, okay, well, do you know what? They could actually do with the help the help here. Um, that is a big, big thing. Another thing I would say is don't judge every child you see in a prom. For all you know, that child could be needing a rest because it could be might be a disability at all it could be something like like some growing pains or something like that there you don't know what you're looking at no matter if you can the person's talking away there or whatever you don't know what's going on in their head and don't bloody judge <laughs> because you don't like to get judged so why would you judge some creator sitting in their prom, enjoying their life, sitting there looking at their tablet or cuddling their teddy bear. Like it's none of your business what they're doing. Are they harming you by looking at them? I think you know it's clear to be seen of society. But we're too quick to judge. Um, mm -hmm. I think what is lacking, and you've you've touched upon it, is that human element. Yeah, that we're so afraid to reach out and offer the hand of kindness. Yeah. 
that we don't anymore. Yeah. And it's a shame because I think we need to demonstrate more empathy and compassion, mm-hmm. not judge because we wouldn't want to be judged ourselves. You don't know what kind of hardships people are, are going through. Yeah. Uh, and like, and, and I'm not making any equivalence here, you know, and this is probably the first time I'll openly admit my own struggles with mental health. I suffer with depression and anxiety, and I've not said that on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But when, as it relates to autism, that it's not something tangible or you can always see. And mm-hmm. I, I guess the same can be said of mental health. You don't know what that person's going through. So mm-hmm. I think you should reserve judgment, keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. And if anything, if you're not willing to help somebody, certainly don't hurt them. Yeah. Um, certainly. And- I, like, speaking on the mental health area of it, like, one thing I will advise as a mother I am is say when you have one thing is mentally you get stuck in a rut when you have a child that's going through the process because you're fighting with everything in your might to get them what they should be getting regardless Mm -hmm. and you get into a hole and you be so afraid I know myself, I was terrified. I have, I had postnatal depression with both of them. Um, and the depression never really left. I've always, I've suffered with it for 16 years and anxiety. And like it got to the point where I was, like say pulling out of the drive and I was like, oh my God, right, look to the left, look to the right, look to the left, look to the right, right. Is anybody walking behind me? What if somebody walks behind me? What if I run them over? To the point where I was literally afraid to leave the house because I was worrying about situations that would never happen. They, they may may happen, but That's I was on some, like at a ten instead of a one, going right. Okay, well, if somebody walks out behind you, you can break. That's that, and that's very often my biggest problem is I project my worst fears. Yeah, and very often these things never will never come to fruition. Never happen. Yeah, but it restricts me in many in many ways. Um, but but like I said, I'm learning to be kinder to myself and, and not be too harsh, yeah. because all things considered, like yourself, I'm a good person. I'm trying to do good. Um, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that you value yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as harsh as we can be on ourselves, and that unfortunately is all too often. Yeah. I think. We have to see the good in ourselves. Um, and, of course, it's nice if other people can see it too and show that appreciation like yeah. we talked about. Like One thing I would like to just say is if you feel yourself as a parent or a partner or you can see in your partner that they are struggling, struggling that it's, it's, it's no harm going to the doctors and asking for help. Your children's not going to be taken off you. Like society says, oh, they're depressed or social services is going to come and take your child. Social services don't just come and take children. No, thankfully, I think the stigma... They'd rather you come and say, right, I need help here than 
in a couple of years down the line where you've got yourself in that much of a downward spiral that they have to come because you're not safe to yourself or your children. Mm -hmm. Like you need to nip it in the bud as such when it comes to mental health because your your brain is such a powerful thing. People don't realise that we only use about, say, 15, 20% of our brain at one time. That it has the power to make you believe how little you are but you're able to fight back on, no, actually, you're wrong there. I can do this and I can do that. Like, I think that's a big struggle for a lot of parents that they're nearly not, af- well, afraid would be a, a thing, but you nearly feel embarrassed by saying, do you know what? I'm not feeling good here. Yeah. Especially I, as a mother, because they're off hormones. Yeah, it's it's too easy to dismiss these things. But I think um, the stigma around mental health is thankfully um, being kicked to the curb. Yeah, Um, definitely. There is more support uh, and people are more tolerant. Um, I I have to say I have the utmost admiration because not only in preparing to talk to you have I learned something that I didn't know. And I think it's important that we take time to listen to people because you never know, you might learn something. Mm-hmm. And, and all too often these days, we don't give people the time uh, and listen to them. So I, I've genuinely learned something and it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you. Uh, I hope in some way that just been able to talk to me that it's an opportunity for you to, to offload um, and there's some benefit to you. Um, well, if it helps one other person, even to say, you know what, I'm going to reach out to her because she could actually maybe advise me or be a shoulder. Like that's if I can, if I can lighten the load off somebody else's shoulders, I'll do it because it's it's a tough feeling thinking that no. you're the only one. Even though you're, you know, you're not the only one in the world going through this. But when you have nobody that you can reach out to, in a sense that. You don't want to. You don't want to be a burden to your partner or your parents or your siblings. Going, oh, this is really getting me down. It's so much easier to say to somebody like like a random person or a friend group. Go on here. I'm really struggling here. Can I offload? Which I think needs to be more of a thing. Of course, and this is something I'll credit my wife with because she reminds me all too often when I'm sit glued to my phone that the best thing that you can give someone is your time. Um, mm-hmm. She's right, and I don't listen to her often enough. Um, so, yeah. Adele, listen, I've probably kept you long enough. Um, it's grand. The husband's away with the children. I could talk about <laughs> It's been an abs- it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, as I said, it has been a learning curve for me. I understand a lot more than perhaps. I mean, perhaps a week ago, yeah, I had a, a very loose understanding of autism and all that it entailed. I mean, it is a very broad spectrum, and it yeah. it, imp- it impacts the individual very differently across the board. But it has been a learning curve, and I really thank you um, genuinely for taking the time and talking to me. That's no bother. I just hope it didn't waffle on too much. (laughs) Not at all. It's been an absolute pleasure. Adele, thank you. Thank you very much.